Hi everyone, this is Linda, your host of the Emoji Sessions podcast, the Princess Warrior and the Afro Optimist, the one and only. I would like to give an open invitation to all our listeners to please share our podcast, to like and leave a comment and subscribe as well. We would love to continue the conversation. You can visit us on all platforms at Amazingly Africa and our website is amazinglyafrica.com. Welcome to Umoja Sessions, the podcast powered by Amazingly Africa. My name is Linda Fwadin, and in this episode, which is one of many in a series about Afro-entrepreneurs that are employing creative and innovative ways to excel in their niche, as well as lead in their communities, this is their story. Today, we travel to Kenya, which is where our guest Josephat Moses Ochang lives. Josephat is the executive director and founder of the Center for Africa Volunteers, an international volunteer society that was founded in 2014 to organize volunteers to promote peaceful coexistence among communities. Their interest is to organize local communities across the African continent for action and influence positive change in all spheres of life. With about 6,000 volunteers, they develop volunteer strategies for capacity building in African communities to actively participate in government's processes at local, national, and international levels. Josephat, welcome to Umoja Sessions. So I could go on and on about your background, but I'd like to start this off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much, Linda, for having me on uh, this podcast. It's indeed um, an honor for me to participate and record and add my voice to the great thing that uh, you are doing in Amazing Africa. As you said, my name is Josephat Moses Ochien. Um, initially, the names that I was given when I was born was uh, Josephat Otieno, meaning uh, born at night. When my father passed on, um, that is when I was uh, around four years old, I didn't live to know him. So when I was in class eight, that is when I was 14 years old, I decided to take all his names. So his name was uh, Moses Uchien. So I replaced Utieno with Moses, which is my father's first name, and Uchien. Uchien uh, is a little a name that means uh, born when the sun is shining. So that is how um, I came to be called <laughs> Josephat Moses in the year 2002. So typically being a firstborn, standing in the gap and in the shoes of my father in a family of six. That's amazing. You're in a family of six. <laughs> so you were saying you're a Kenyan. Uh, tell us more about your background. Yes. So I am a Luo. Now, being a Luo is uh, a Luo is uh, one of the major tribes in Kenya and in East Africa. Uh, we are a Nilotic speaking. I'm from a Nilotic speaking group, and uh, we are believed to have originated from Sudan long, long time ago. And uh, as days moved by, we settled around Lake Victoria 
in a sense, we move, we moved from uh, from Sudan along River Nile, and we settled around Lake Victoria, which is uh, in Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda. So, in a sense, most of our tribesmen from Lu community live in Kenya. There are those who live in in Uganda, and there are those who live. Um, in Tanzania, we speak different dialects, but it's the same Lulu language that originated from Sudan. Other than that, um, as I said, um, a firstborn. Um, I don't want you to, anybody to ask why my father passed on when I was uh, four years old. But uh, we are, I'm in a family of six, so I'm a firstborn of a family of six. You can now begin to understand. The, the dynamics of that family. You were born a leader. Yeah, basically that is it. That is it, giving direction to my siblings, you know? <laughs> yeah, so um, I think most of the things that I do are informed by, you know, the, the, my upbringing and the, uh, the background in which I was brought. In a, in a cultural setup where a woman, a single woman, um, who, is, who is married and widowed at a young age, never respected by the uh, by the kinsmen, and in our culture uh, we have this practice of um, wife inheritance. When your husband dies, uh, you have to be inherited by a man who the community chooses for you. I think that my mother rejected. She had the ability to reject that, in spite of her uh, zero education. She was an empowered woman uh, in spite of zero education. When I say zero education, I mean that she is a woman who today she cannot she cannot read and she cannot write. So, so basically this is, this is she, re, she is a representative of women who are always frustrated, who are always taken advantage of by uh, by the community. So in such a setup, um, brought up in such a setup where uh, people believe that children or kids who are brought up without fathers and also in a family where kids are born illegitimately, uh, the community tends to frustrate such people, um, such, such families. So with that, I grew strongly knowing that we didn't have anybody to defend and protect our family. So somebody had to stand in the gap and we chose and uh, particularly I chose to stand in for my family and uh, nobody, and I say nobody, could or can, especially now that I'm, I've grown old, can interfere in our family matters. Like We insist that boundaries have to be respected. And so I think even throughout primary, throughout high school, throughout university, I think uh, my life is inclined to social justice activism. It is nowhere around me can a person be frustrated without me stepping in. I have always to speak out. So that is, I think, uh, summarizes the person who I am. Wow. Well, you have a great and amazing background. Seldom do you hear people uh, standing up um, and speaking up against cultures and traditions that today may not be as relevant and that have also inhibited the progress or been very negative towards women in general. So I commend you for that. And um, 
you and your mother are really strong and amazing leaders to be able to show us that, yes, you don't always have to settle for things just because they say it's the tradition. There are a lot of traditions and cultures that, yes, they must be respected, but at the same time, you should also respect the person whom you're imposing these uh, traditions and cultures on. So mindfulness is important in both sides. Thank you so much for that background, Josephat. That was really eye-opening. In this episode, I called you on because even with your background, we can hear that you are an organizer, you are for social impact projects and all of that. And seeing the work that you already do on the continent and not just for CAV. I know that you uh, work with a lot of other NGOs and organizations, whether they are local or international. So the topic of this conversation really is opportunities for youth employment. We all know that uh, Africa has the youngest population in the world and it's still growing with, you know, 65% of the entire continent being under the age of 25. With that, comes a lot of opportunities. uh, And that's the way that I see this. Um, A lot of people say, oh, there are a lot of challenges, there are a lot of this and that. There are a lot of challenges in everything. But if you're able to recognize the opportunity in the challenge, then the rate of return will be greater, right? So right now, the first question I want to bring up or the first comment and topic is opportunities for employment or opportunities for entrepreneurship. Can we dissect that? Is it the same thing? Is it different? Um, What are the pros and cons? And uh, I think we should start talking about that. Um, Thank you so much, Linda. That question is, um, it's it's one question of, of two sides of a coin, opportunities for employment or opportunities for entrepreneurship. <clears throat> allow me to answer it in a, a different way. Uh, may allow me to say opportunities for solutions of the challenges that we are experiencing as young people, old people, women alike in the continent. The reason as to why I'm, I'm saying that, um, we need employment, yes. But employment will not come unless we have entrepreneurs. Now, we, we, we shall not have entrepreneurs whatsoever if we do not have people with the eagle eyes that are able to see challenges that we are experiencing in the continent and consequently bring solution to them. Uh, the reason as to why I'm saying that, uh, we can have entrepreneurs, yes, but as Mahatma Gandhi once noted, that commerce without ethics is destructive to humanity. We can have entrepreneurs uh, who are bringing solutions that are purposefully meant uh, to destroy our people. What do I mean? Let me pick an example like uh, in Nigeria with Boko Haram and in so many other African countries. We have entrepreneurs, if I may call them so, who are supplying uh, for uh, supplying um, tools or weapons like guns um, to, to, these, to people who, who are fighting there. Indeed, they are entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs to which context? In Kenya, uh, for example, in, the, in Nairobi city, uh, in slum areas, 
uh, when I was working with uh, street farmers, I, I saw, uh, I, I interacted with people who are very rich and very wealthy, selling uh, drugs, um, cheap drugs to street families and to young people. I, I don't know whether to call these people entrepreneurs because they are looking, they, 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 I mean, they are looking for an opportunity to provide that which is needed by a certain class of people. So, uh, when we talk of entrepreneurship, it becomes very broad and uh, it is it is zeroing down to getting money, which is okay. But uh, I would want us to look to tie job which relies on entrepreneurship, but I want this entrepreneurship to rely or to lie much on uh, creating sustainable solutions to problems that are affecting our people. And uh, let me not dwell in that point so much, but let me um, tone down by reflecting on uh, what one of my friends told me uh, is uh, from South Korea. He said that uh, when he looks at Kenya and when he looks at Africa in most of the countries that um, he's been to, he sees people saying that there are no jobs. Everybody is crying that we do not have jobs. But he's saying that when he looks around, he's seeing a lot of opportunities for employment and it is seeing a lot of work that should be done. And he pointed, for example, most of our cities are very dirty. We have environmental degradation. And he pointed out that uh, from the waste and refuses, that comes out of settlements, there can be fertilizers that can be manufactured from such refuses and wastes. They did mention that... Um, You're saying that fertilizers can be created with the waste from uh, the streets? Wow! Yes. He also said that um, we have, uh, we, we have generally a lot of waste that can be used again um, to make um, electricity and to produce gas that can be used for cooking in homes and in houses. What struck me in this statement was that in this country, South Korea, every young person must serve in the military. If you for two years, that is that is the national service. If you cannot serve in the military voluntarily as a volunteer, then you are taken to prison for two years. The reason as to why they are doing that <laughs> is to create a population of people who are enterprising and people who are endure a process. When you're taken through that process of endurance, it means that your mind gets opened up enough to see opportunities where people cannot see it. And you also said that uh, now the only thing that uh, is making the African youth not to be enterprising enough is the education system that we have that prepares, that prepares us typically uh, to seek for employment, not to be creative enough to provide employment to those who need it but as we, as they solve uh, problems that bedevils our land or our continent in so many ways. So yes, um, we have employment because not everybody can be an entrepreneur, but also entrepreneurship is a way. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. I want to stay on this topic of education because 
I think it's really important that we talk about education. We're, I want everybody to know that education is not necessarily the going to school and, you know, sitting in front of the class and uh, waiting in front of the whiteboard. Because in place of the blackboard and the books, Africa's education system needs to have some sort of shift to digital and virtual things as well. Because, and not just virtual and digital, but also looking outside of the classroom and the blackboard, right? Because new forms of literacy need to be embraced beyond just academic literacy, right? You need digital skills that are becoming requirements in this 21st century day and age. And young people in Africa are at an advantage, but what they need is that they need to be supported in order to expand those digital skills. And not just digital, in order to expand every sort of skill needed. Because you don't just need digital skills, you need basic cognitive skills, you need soft skills and life skills, consciousness, and you also need those technical and vocational skills that can only be acquired in a specific technical schools or by getting technical certifications and for entrepreneurship, management, engineering, and etc. So I think that improving access to those types of educational systems will also improve access for our jobs and for our, our entrepreneurial mindsets because training in soft skills and entrepreneurial skills is essential to growing and to learning as a youth and as a person. I know by experience that these are the things that enable uh, me and my peers to really grow, to become who they want to become. Yes, you're absolutely right. Education as it is, as it is in the continent, I, I don't know about other places in the world, is really a disservice to our people just from the time of independence. Um, digging deep, um, I will be reflecting and referring much to my country because this is where, where I can relate to better. But again, I know it, uh, it's a representation of uh, many places. Um, in Kenya, we have different, um, different systems of education. We have the 844, uh, that is the, the system that was uh, given to us by our colonizers, the British. Then we have um, the British system of, 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 of education. Then we have the German system of education. The British system of education is very expensive, same to the German system of education very very expensive and only the rich and the upper class and the political class can afford the, those systems of education now kids who go to through those systems the their cognitive skills and generally they they are different people even from the way they reason you know putting um, a grade three and uh, from four uh, together to discuss an, on an issue, a grade three will outsmart a uh, from four um, who is undergoing the eight for four system. That is the common system that every Kenyan has the right to go through. Now, this eight for four system, uh, when I was uh, a, a little young and when I was growing up, uh, up to class six, 
we had um, some subjects like art and craft, we had music, uh, we had home science, we had agriculture, we had just uh, a lot of things. Uh, we, we had, uh, it's called home science, uh, we had commerce. It said that when somebody goes through that system and gets out after four, uh, after eight years of primary education, this is a person who could survive. Along the way, um, there were around 14 subjects. Along the way, they were, all of them were scrapped and we remained with five subjects. That is science, we have uh, social studies, uh, we have uh, math, English, and Swahili, only four, only five. So it means that anybody who gets out of that system is just as bogus as a person who can speak English and write his name. This is a person who can do typically nothing. Then you go to high school, the same happens. Then you go to the university, um, where you, the, the first question that uh, is asked, which course is marketable? Which course can I do so that out of after this I can be employed very fast? Looking at at that example alone, it's a system that uh, is producing people who lack critical and creative thinking, people who can not solve problems. And now <clears throat> there is serious need of. Um, venturing into <coughs> vocational trainings very seriously. For example, uh, the, people, people are buying vehicles all over, all over Africa and all over the world. We need people who can uh, repair these vehicles. Um, we have people who are making, uh, we have phones everywhere, we have computers everywhere. We need people who can be making this, uh, these, these things. Now, um, here where I stand, we have Chinese. We have Chinese who are repairing phones um, in Kenya, repairing phones, uh, repairing computer, computers. What does this, this tell us? And uh, what what is left um, for for our young people? What is left for our young people? If you're following Kenyan politics right now, uh, a deputy president who wants to be president in 2022 is right now campaigning and giving young people wheelbarrows. Oh, he's giving out wheelbarrows, literally. Literally, literally giving out. That is youth empowerment. Do you get what I'm saying? When Chinese are repairing phones in our city, in our city here, when Chinese um, roasting maize, typically, if you know what I mean, roasting maize, huh? it, it so means that uh, our people are not capacitated enough with technical and soft skills to even jump into readily available opportunities that can give them decent livelihoods. When talking about education, we, the government or uh, a people, we the people, as I always call it, must invest more in vocational trainings that empowers or capacitates people with hand-on skills. That's the fundamental basics of it. We have fields of agriculture. We, are, we need our young people to be capacitated to know that agriculture um, is not just a punishment or a venture that is left for people who have not gone to school. I think that's a very important.
point that you just pointed on because it seems like agriculture is looked at by the youth as something that's not so glamorous as being a CEO of a startup, of a tech startup like Facebook or something like that. But, you know, we don't realize that agriculture has high potential for large scale employment. And I mean, in the massive scale. And also increased access to rural areas will also improve agricultural productivity. But that's also a challenge, right? Because I know, for example, in Cameroon, it's very hard to go from point A to point B to get to the rural areas, to get to uh, the suburbs in order to be able to work on that agricultural land if you do not actually live there. So there are a lot of challenges but the opportunities overpower those challenges and i think that when you see a goal or a mission or a vision like that then you should run for it because your goal or your mission should always be bigger than any challenges that can come in front of you it should be bigger grander and wider than anything because any and everything can stop you at any moment during your journey but if your goal is big enough, you won't be able to overcome those obstacles. So these excuses should not be even uh, taken into consideration. Uh, actually, um, I, I really agree with um, with your statement, and I would back it up by the leg legendary Thomas Sankara, this mythical hero to whom we are today celebrating. He remarked and he said at one point, that you cannot carry out a fundamental change without a certain amount of madness, effort, and craziness. The reason as to why I'm, I'm referring to, to this great man, we in Kenya, as uh, I was introducing myself, I told you that I'm a Luo, and uh, yeah, we majorly live around Lake Victoria, which is uh, one of the biggest freshwater lakes in the world where we have fishing taking place. But uh, as we have fishing taking place uh, there, we have Chinese selling fish in Kenya, like importing fish. We are importing fish from China in a land where we have the opportunity and the capability of fish farming, fish farming and we can consume that fish here in the continent in kenya because market is there but chinese are now here selling their fish when they're selling their fish what it means uh, is that we are denying young people the opportunity for self-employment and that is why um, uh, I'm in a project of organizing grassroots for action, civic and political action, so that we fight for our space. No young person, not even a government, can go to China and sell fish there. You can't even open a company in China without having a partner that is Chinese, first of all. There are so many obstacles there for foreigners. But Africa seems to be the gate that like everything comes in and comes out and, uh, you know c'est la cour du roi Peto, like we say in french yeah uh, we have um, when i was talking to a pilot one of the pilots who flies to to the united arab emirates in dubai 
and actually it was in one of our interviews, he said that uh, every week they take over 40,000 tons of meat um, to, to the United Arab Emirates. He said that these are opportunities for young people to start trading internationally. We have the opportunity of partnering with the people in the United Arab Emirates and sell our meat and farm produce there because they need it. But why is it not happening? It's not happening because people do not have the information on the available opportunities in other places. And so it, 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 we need to uh, interact widely and expose our young people to such opportunities that are available. People are crying that uh, we do not have many opportunities like for farming. We do not have, typically I've interacted with people uh, who love to trade internationally, especially uh, on the farm produce, but they do not meet the international standards. Now, what do we mean by the international standards? Uh, some of the uh, the food produce that are uh, farm produce that are produced here have a lot of uh, we call them aflatoxins or excess chemicals. So this means that this farm produce cannot be sold outside uh, outside Kenya. But what does that mean again? It means that they are consumed in Kenya. So and and again, <coughs> yes, and again the question that comes to mind: if they are produced and consumed in Kenya. Who produces? Who produces or who manufactures the fertilizers that makes our farm produce not fit for international consumption? And who uh, sells to our farmers um, pesticides that are not fit for the international markets? All of them are foreign companies. All of them are foreign companies selling to our people, our farmers. Things that when are used um, in the farm are not fit for the international consumption, and therefore they are consumed here in the continent. It so means that, it so means that uh, we are killing ourselves by things that cannot be consumed and yet could produce by people who can, uh, 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 people who are selling us these things. And I concur and I agree with Professor Ali Mazrui when he did mention that in Africa we consume what we do not produce and produce uh, what we do not consume. Those that are fit for the international consumption are not consumed in the continent. Those that are unfit for the international consumption are consumed in the continent. And so in my interrogation and in my investigation and talking to other players in this field, we have opportunities uh, for production of even organic fertilizer. If our young people um, in the research institutes, uh, institutions and universities can come up creatively and create organic fertilizers, organic pesticides, because technology is there, how many jobs are we going to create in that chain from the manufacturers to the distributors? To the agricultural extension officers. So generally, as we are looking at uh, these problems that are bedeviling our continent and we come up with solution, entrepreneurship comes to play. We are going to create jobs massively. And as young people, our names shall be written indelibly in the books of history as a people who have saved the continent. Over to you.
Wow, that is incredible. I really like the way you said that. And all of this starts with knowing yourself and having respect for yourself. You know, Marcus Garvey said that a, a, a people who do not know their roots, they, they don't know where they're going and they don't have a vision, they don't have a mission, then what is their goal in life? So the, the quote is, a person without the knowledge of their past history, origin and culture is like a tree without roots. You know, the fact that we're letting all of these uh, multinationals and conglomerates coming into our country and treat us miserably when they wouldn't even dare do that in their own countries and to their own citizens, is it's more of a reflection on us because we're letting this happen to us. And if we do not have the education to learn about these things, if we do not take the step to actually try and understand how these things are happening, why these things are happening, what is the history in this relationship, then we may end up somewhere tomorrow that we did not even realize that we could you know, end up in, and that is not in a positive way. So what I'm trying to say is that you know, opportunities for youth employment and opportunities, or like you said, uh, so opportunities for solutions that we are experiencing in society can be found everywhere and at every single level. It all comes with us coming in with a creative and an open mind, uh, a mind of here's the problem. Is there a solution? Here's the problem for this community. Here's the problem for myself even. Here's the, the what I, I see as an issue every time I go back home or every time I step out of the house, every time I go to the farm or every time I, I you know, seeing opportunities in problems is going to be the mindset and is going to be the way for the youth to be able to solve the issues that we have. And there's this thing called social entrepreneurship. And I, we, I've talked about this in a previous episode. Um, it's called the Spear Method. And you know, that was with Kuda Biza. And I encourage anybody to go back and listen to that episode. But we talked about social impact. You know, we talked about the fact that just because you're doing something social and not necessarily glamorous and techy, it doesn't mean that there will not be a, a return on investment for your effort, right? And so this social entrepreneurship thing is like, you can be an entrepreneur, but with a mission and with a vision and an, an entrepreneur that makes a difference, right? So I think that that's also the direction that we should see and look at things back home. And because that's the way that I'm seeing things. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, having talked of uh, of social entrepreneurship, um, I, I think it's a it, it's a it's a great and a great idea. But before um, I mention that, let me let me just um, link it up to what you said, um, Professor. Not Professor. Uh, uh, the philosopher Plato said that uh, a quote that I loved so much when I was in campus that man know thyself. He remarked, and he said that a life that is not examined is not worth living. And to that I also say that without thumping your feet down, nobody will respect you. So we got to respect ourselves, value ourselves, and do not seek for an approval from anybody to be valued. Speaking about uh, social entrepreneurship, our young people across the continent 
our young people across the continent um, must desist, and I say must desist, from uh, registering non-governmental organizations and start venturing, and I say must desist from registering non-governmental organizations and churches. We must focus on uh, venturing into social enterprises. What do I mean? In, I'm a community organizer, and I'm working with, a, with young people and various organizations in uh, almost 18 African countries, I think 19 right now. Not very actively, but uh, I interact with them a lot, and I tend to learn a lot from people. But in Kenya, we have uh, moved typically to uh, all the com uh, almost all the communities. We have so many non-governmental organizations than companies that have been registered by our young people. And uh, you ask yourself, why uh, do we have so many non-governmental organizations? Typically, they are tools for begging from the West or from the white man because we've always been told that we need help. As Africans, we need help and we need to be writing grants more than writing business proposals or, or business plans. You nailed it in the head. You said we are conditioned more to writing grants than to writing business plans. I like that. I'm quoting that. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm a spiritual person. And I was raised in a Christian family, and I attribute most of the things to that upbringing. And therefore, I respect the church and I respect everything. But uh, I disassociate myself, and I'm a greater champion of our young people to dissociate themselves with every spiritual and religious practice that would want to promise them heaven yet they're living in hell here on earth. I promise that uh, we should pray for some miracle to come to us here instead of rising up, rolling up our sleeves and uh, rising to the occasion to confront the devil of poverty, the devil of unemployment, the devil of bad governance. These are things that we can do. But what does the religion teach us? Religion it promises us heavens and delivering hell to our young people. Mm. It's like we're living, we're waiting for a savior. We're waiting for a miracle to happen. You know, and we just assume that it's going to happen because we're praying for it, right? So it must happen. Yeah, we are praying and fasting, so it has, it has to happen. And let me quote Professor Pierre Lomomba, what he said, that I support every every spiritual or religious, religious organizations, but I, you must know that the kitchen in which manna was being cooked in heaven was closed. No manna will ever come. Let me also say this. Uh, I look at toys that children play with, toys that we buy for our children. You'll see somewhere made in Japan, made in China, made in Germany, or made in US. Just a toy, a toy, a plain toy. None is made in Kenya, for example. I don't know if there are those that are made in Nigeria and Cameroon, but if there were, or if there are, they are not cherished and they are not bought, you know. 
So what what is happening is that even basic things we cannot make by ourselves. Now, this is the reason sometimes that we might not make them by ourselves. The cost of production is very high. Manufacturing, it's a problem for us, but it's also part of the solution. Yes. Now, as a people, we must organize ourselves and take duty bearers to account because without political goodwill or without proper political system of governance, all these things will continue to be hard on us. So as a people, we must uh, take the political leadership to account to create that environment, the enabling environment to do some of these things that we are proposing and that we are yearning to do as a people of, uh, of the continent. I think that you hit the nail on the head. And I think that we're coming to the concluding part of this conversation about opportunities for solutions. I know that the person who was keenly listening was able to take gems when we were talking about education or when we were talking about social impact or when we were talking about religion and manufacturing. Those are all different niches and different places that one can find themselves in and where one can create solutions for society. And before we end this, right? I want to talk a little bit about the type of leaders and the type of entrepreneurs and the type of people, of youth that we need in this day and age and for the future. Because if you want to become a leader, I suggest that you look up to the greatest and the best. The Thomas Sankaras, like we've mentioned, the Marcus Garvey's, the Patrice Lumumbas and the PLO Lumumbas as well, the Queen Zingas, the real people who actually had impact, the, the Martin Luther Kings, the Malcolm X's, right? You really need to study those people. What were the values and the attributes that they had? You can throw in some words as to what are some things that you think a leader should have? The first thing that I learned from, for example, Thomas Sankara was to have integrity. He named his country from Upper Volta to Burkina Faso, which means the country of the man of integrity, the pays des hommes et des femmes intègres, right? So for him, integrity, and he epitomized it from beginning to end. So what are other attributes that you see or that you think that we need uh, in this 21st century for our youth? Um, <clears throat> we need resilience, re resilient and persistent people. Knowing that every venture that uh, you set your foot in, in this capitalistic world, there has to be competition, opposition, oppression in, a given, in, in, in some degree, but the persistent the persistence of a person creates way to the opportunities that are available. It is not for the weak, and courage is another aspect. You got to move against all odds, against all odds. You got to be courageous and move against uh, the antagonizing waves of discouragement. Move against the antagonizing ways of discouragement. I, I like that. There are a number of things that have started, but have failed. We we also have to to pray for the spirit of our ancestors and and the spiritual guidance to know, to know when to push on. 
and to know when to back. Because these are things that uh, requires the internal voice, the internal still small voice that guides each and every one of us. It's unique to everybody. Um, most of the time we'll, we'll be seeking for guidance, but the, from the people whom we are seeking guidance from, they do not know the brand, uh, the mission, and the reason for, for which each and every one of us exists. So uh, with discipline comes that still small voice that rings inside of us, inside of us. We have to develop the argument to listen and to pay attention to it. What am I saying? I'm saying that uh, we have to be connected to the supernatural being who guides us. And with that, I believe that we shall never go any wrong. So you're saying we have to listen and pay attention to our inner voice. That's really incredible. And you know, in this day and age, it's important for us to be mindful and to think about mindfulness because this thing of being resilient and persistent and being courageous doesn't come by itself, right? You need to have confidence in yourself. And in order to have confidence in yourself, you need to know yourself, right? You need to know yourself in order to know what you can accomplish, where you're going, and why you're doing it, right? Because you need to know your why, and your why has to be greater than a lot of things in order for you to improve in life. So before we end, can you tell us a little bit about the Center for Africa Volunteers? What are some endeavors that you're doing right now, new projects, and how others can get involved as well? All right. Thank you. Number one, uh, Center for Africa Volunteers has a vision of increased public participation expanded civil society space, stronger community capacities, and resilience combined with good governance and human rights that leads to transformative change enhanced and enhanced mitigation capacities for the poor and marginalized individuals and groups across Africa. We are working uh, with people. It's a people's-driven um, organization. Currently, we are running a program dubbed 365 Days of Civic Engagement, which is uh, into two. Um, that is, uh, this year, uh, we are about to come to the conclusion of it. Next year, uh, we are also going to move with it until 2022. Um, currently, we are actively engaged into ag agribusiness or agribusiness advocacy and uh, market linkages. Uh, for our young entrepreneurs in the field of agriculture. We are working um, together with a number of stakeholders and uh, partners. Amazingly, Africa being one of the major stakeholders and partners in this process. Very excited to partner with you, Josephat. Thank you so much. It's always my pleasure to have you on board. Number one, education. Education and information makes the difference. Somebody said that the difference between you and your age mate somewhere is the information that you to have. Um, this information, we intend to impact it in our young people to know um, why they should be involved in agriculture and agribusiness and how they should be involved in agriculture and in agribusiness to their pro productivity and to wealth creation. 
In line with that, we are working with Jucago a company based in uh, in Canada that has given itself a company um, that is um, headed by Pan-Africanists who have given out their planes, their airplanes, uh, to help in transporting agricultural produce from Africa, not only Kenya, from the Kenya. entire continent uh, to the Caribbean and to other parts of the world uh, for processing and value addition but in the process also, we are working with other companies um, that, uh, that that, that uh, can do the processing here in the con continent for value addition before exportation to the rest of the world. As you know, um, Africa will or can feed the entire population of the earth, and we are, we are moving there. So... As a people and a Center for Africa volunteers, what legacy are we living? In our generation, we want to turn people back to agriculture and agribusiness. When our generation gets to agriculture and get the potence and importance, importance of getting involved in agribusiness, then we know posterity and our children, our, our grandchildren, will hold that dearly and our land that is about to be invaded by strange powers, we call them powers of darkness, principalities, if I might quote the Bible, will not take the pride of our motherland. When I was speaking somewhere, uh, I said that uh, we are fighting against uh, powers from the dark places, principalities, you know, I, I'm forgetting the rest of the, the phrases. Somebody said that um, I'm speaking as a racist and uh, um, I'm propagating hate speech. But I say no. We are, we are not propagating hate speech and we are not calling anybody that they are from the powers of the dark. But if they exhibit the following, thriving on the ignorance of our people to advance their selfish good, then you form part of the power of darkness. When you are from a continent or from a place or from a race that uh, uh, thrive on, uh, on our ignorance and the ignorance of our people, and because of your military or power or political superiority, then you are a principality from dark places. You are not fit to be a human being. And so our people must work to defeat them by all means possible. Thank you for that message, Josephat. I think that was a great way to end because we don't realize that the day and age in which we are, this time with everything that's happening around the world, all this uncertainty, a lot of things can collapse and a lot of things can merge into fruition. So there's no better time than now in order to take action. There's no better time than now in order to do what is dear to your heart, to do what you've always wanted to do. Because now is the only time that we have for certain. And before I close off, Joseph, do you have a message, a last minute message that you have for the youth? And also where can they find you, social media, your website and things like that? Um, my less than one minute message to our young people is that uh, our parents and our grandparents will not be there perhaps in the next 20 years, 30 years or 50 years but we shall be old at that time. And um, 
what shall we be leaving for our children? I recommend that our young people must be crazy and not fit to the trends of the world. We must chart our own way as we know it best for our good, for our good, for our good. And I repeat, for our good. As I said, I welcome all of us to Center for Africa Volunteers, which is an international volunteer society, fighting and advocating for the good of people of the African descent worldwide. We champion for volunteerism because we believe that uh, in any given position that you are in, unless you, you, you add an extra, an extra effort, an extra energy, an extra uh, education, an extra everything, then you don't have the opportunity to thrive even to gain promotion or even to gain a competitive advantage against everybody because everybody has to add a little bit to that which they are doing to achieve excellence. That is the mode of voluntarism that we are championing for. You can get us on our website, www.centerforafricavolunteers.org. Um, personally, you can get me on my Facebook page, Josephat Moses Uchien, or Facebook profile, Josephat Moses. I'm only active in those two. Mm, amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much, Josephat. I would like to end this amazing podcast episode by thanking you for being here. Like you said, you are involved in 19 or 18 other different countries and you're a busy man, but thank you for taking the time to inspire our youth and to really give them solutions to the problems that we have. So thank you for coming on the show, Josephat. I would like to end by saying this, regarded by many as the development multiplier, education will play a key role in accelerating progress, not only towards our global goal for decent work and growth, but also towards the solutions to such things as good health, poverty, gender inequality, inequalities in general, and also peaceful societies. And this journey will require the involvement of all the stakeholders, including the government, private firms, startups, non-governmental training providers, and of course, young people themselves. The challenge is for us will be to be able to tap into our local communities and prevent that brain drain through soft skills that are also increasingly important for the future development of employment, but also opportunities in general in our continent. So. I usually end with the quote, Elimu Nimsingi wa Maisha, which means education is the foundation of life. But I would also like to add this other quote from the Egyptian book of the Great Awakening. And it says this, what I hate is ignorance, smallness of imagination, the eye that sees no farther than its own lashes. All things are possible. Who you are is limited by who think you are. Thank you for listening to Umoja Sessions. My name is Linda Fwiding. I'm a princess warrior and an Afro-optimist. Hi. 
Hi everyone, this is Linda, your host of the Emoji Sessions podcast, the Princess Warrior and the Afro Optimist, the one and only. I would like to give an open invitation to all our listeners to please share our podcast, to like and leave a comment and subscribe as well. We would love to continue the conversation. You can visit us on all platforms at Amazingly Africa and our website is AmazinglyAfrica.com.